Well, hey, everybody. Coach Steve here coming to you from sunny Berthoud, Colorado. And this is an FRA podcast episode number four. And before I tell you what we're going to talk about, um, how are the uh, conditions at the old Trapper's Cabin? Also sunny, uh, very cold this morning, but warming up a little bit. Uh, a lot of wolves out and about today, so you might hear my dog barking at him during today's podcast. Man, you're a tough guy to get a hold of, though. It's great that you have it enough, just enough technology there to join us on the podcast. That's what we had, just minimal technology so we can do the podcasts every week with uh, Coach Steve. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. So today, I think this will be a popular one. I think it... Uh, I was hoping it might be one of our shorter ones, but if I call it, <laughs> if I call it a half hour, you know, it's going to be 90 minutes. All right. But I do think um, this is something that comes up a lot and you and I have talked about it a lot. And I think it'll be a, I think it'll be something that is of value to the kids. And uh, we're going to roughly call this one, how to beat the pusher. What do you think of that? I think I'd just call it the pusher. <laughs> Cause I want, I want to spend some of the time explaining it and singing the praises of the pusher. Okay, so before we turn it over to Coach B.O.B., I'm going to start off doing a little bit of the talking here on a couple other side notes. And um, after I offer up these side notes, I'm going to give an overview and kind of a general outline of the pusher. And then B.O.B. will give us the fine details and some advice on and just some coaching tips on on the pusher and how to beat them. So um, I want to start off really quick. We've been doing awards this week, and uh, I don't think B.O.B., knows uh what i'm about to say so it's been super fun we've been doing some awards and um i mentioned in a previous podcast uh henry matheson you know who tragically died last year so henry was you know the number one 16 year old in the state when he died and um so we have an award called the henry matheson all-around award and you know bob coached us to make sure or to me personally said do not give this out unless someone really deserves it. And we had other awards that we did this week, but the Henry Matheson all around, you know, and Gret and, you know, literally asked with his name and, and the winner's name, this is for, you know, the kid that shows good character and sportsmanship and improvement and hard work, you know, doesn't horseplay. So, so we had a winner yesterday and it was really fun to hand the award to Luke Weber out of Niwot high school. So pretty cool. So, um, you know, B.O.B. and I have a um, kind of a thing that annoys us with other pros and coaches sometimes when they, you know, name drop and take credit and all that. So I'm not trying to do that here. I'm just simply mentioning that Luke Weber, you know, won the award last night. It was well-deserved. And um, I told him his mom was going to cry when I sent him the picture <laughs> of the award with yeah. her name on it. I think she did. Right. But um, but yeah, Luke really deserved it. And um, also want to mention Luke's done a lot of work with Ryan Berman and Erie and um, a friend of mine, Luke Snyder, down at Apex and the other pros at Apex. But Luke has spent a significant amount of time with the FRA and, um, you know, and travel trips with us and goes back many years with the FRA. So I wanted to mention Ryan and, and Luke as well. But, yeah, it was well-deserved. So thought you'd like to know that, B.O.B. That's outstanding. Congratulations to uh, Luke. And it's good that you found a, a, a worthy recipient to honor uh, Henry in that way, too. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, we did some other awards as well. I have a Facebook page, which is just Williams Tennis School LLC, and that's our Front Range Academy page. So on the Williams Tennis School page on Facebook, there's pictures of all the other winners and the other awards and the other winners that we handed out. So without 
taking all the time. Just wanted to mention Luke. So, so today, so the whole pusher thing, you know, um, this always cracks me up, Bob, because you, you told us something years ago that I've, it's stuck with me and I tell the kids all the, literally all the time. And that is in Colorado junior tennis, you can either look good or actually be good. (laughs) Right. Never both. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I would amend that just slightly. I, I obviously I agree with that. My, my take is you can look good to the casual observer or be good. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't be both. So if somebody gets a quick look at you and you look good, the chances yeah. are of you actually being good, sadly, they're not that great. Obviously, if you are truly a great player, that's going to be pretty obvious on first glance. But it's, yeah. it's not that easy to look good and be good because, you know, being good, especially around here and at our skill level, you know, you got to make shots. <laughs> you can't, you can't be going quite as big as you'd like to, because it's, you know, the altitude up here, especially it is really hard to control a tennis ball and get it in. So yeah, the flashier you look, the, the cooler shots you hit, sadly, you know, unfortunately that's a negative correlation with results around our parts. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the kids have kind of bought into that and they get it every podcast we've done so far. And this is number four of the full length version. We have a couple quick hits out there the shorter ones, but everyone is, you know, a lot of them have talked about, maybe all of them have talked about, you know, hitting hard, you're going to miss, you're going to lose. And if you make shots and then you've got the five tactical areas of tennis and another episode and all this ties together. So, you know, when it comes to the pusher, I, you know, let me just start off by saying that we don't coach this style, but if a kid wants to embrace it and that's who they are and they want to run with it, it's shocking how many wins they end up getting. So I don't think I've coached a single kid into this style. You know, now we emphasize making shots and consistency, of course, but as far as just moon ball, loopy and never hit hard, I've never actually coached a kid into that style. I've always actually believed that your playing style is a function of your personality and what you like to do, what's going to keep this game going for you, what's going to help you develop, what you enjoy doing, what you're best at, what fits your skill set. Um, but the kids that have adopted it have done really well, shockingly. Now, maybe at the higher levels of tennis, if you turn on the TV right now, you'll find the Australian Open is in the semifinals, quarters and semis. And those guys and gals look good and they are good. Right. Yeah. But I'm talking about a junior program in Colorado. Right. So. Um, so anyways, um, you and I have talked about and I want you to run with this, some of this um, as far as, you know, We'll talk about who the pusher is and four ways to beat them. So I'll, I'll tee it up. I'll tee it up for you with this. We talked about the four ways and we'll might expand on this today, but number one, overheads, number two, swing volleys, number three, drop shots, number four angles. There's four ways to attack the pusher. Let's talk about those. Well, yeah. And I would say, I would encourage people to, there's a guy named Rob Gray, a professor at Arizona state university. That's been doing a podcast for years. He, he wrote a really good book called, um, how we learn to move a revolution in, in coaching sports. And I've been listening to his podcast for a long time. And he, he says that he, he wants people to not, not learn to follow a recipe, but he wants them to become a master chef, learn how to learn how to combine the ingredients in a way that, that produces a great meal. And so that's what I want people to understand about tennis, I think, and about how to beat a pusher. And it's a, there's a continuum. There's there's literally an infinite number of ways to beat a pusher. And it's going to depend upon you and the particular style of pusher that you're playing against. So yeah, those four things are are there. They're in the they're in the 
in, in the recipe book, their, their ingredients in how to beat a pusher. But it's not it's not really so simple. I, you know, I wrote a piece I think I shared with you how to win at a loser's game many years ago. And I gave like a recipe like that. Follow this three step process and you can you can win at a loser's game. And that was sort yeah. of about beating pushers. And, and that was too narrow, you know, I think. So, yeah, that that's part of it. Um, and I would like to say, too, that, you know, as far as pushers, there's a continuum of pushers. And, and I believe Bjorn Borg was a pusher. I, you know, I believe that a lot of times Novak Djokovic is a pusher. Does that mean that they just push the ball back? No, obviously they hit the ball. But you can hit with pretty high racket speeds. I mean, Nadal, when he first came on the tour, he, you know, he was not very offensive. He was a defensive player. Andy Murray, defensive player. And to me, that's that's sort of what pushing is. So at the at the very far end, it's just a deflector. <laughs> you know, the ball comes over and you just deflect it back. That's mm-hmm. really all you do. And then... You know, you get to where you push the ball. You just, you know, you just shove it back over the net with a little bit of racket movement, but not much. But then it goes all the way up to people I've coached, you know, who who hit with fairly high racket speeds and ball speeds, but their game is based on consistency, retrieving, minimizing their errors, locking down their side of the net. And broadly speaking, I call that a pusher. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think that it's it's not a, a low skill, low way to play. It's a it's an extremely effective way to play. And sometimes at those lower ends where people are just sort of deflecting it, chopping it, pushing it, whatever, it doesn't look good. And, you know, without a fair bit of racket speed and ball speed, you're never going to be at the top of the game. I think that's, that's fair to say, but at all levels, I believe that being steady, playing defense, covering your side of the court, locking down your airs, I think it wins. And, and does it mean it is the best? No, not necessarily. You know, Federer can hit through it. You know, people can beat defensive players. So offense is extremely effective too. But but the pushing style, you know, pushing is a pejorative, obviously. We, but I, I think it's a great, it's a it's a legitimate, should be respected way to play. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, moon balls, that's a, that's a subset of pushing. You can be a pusher who just chops everything low with slice. You can be somebody who elevates and lobs every ball. There's a lot of different ways to, to be a quote pusher in my book. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. Um, you know, I've been doing this 15 years and we've always valued and emphasized competition within the FRA in terms of practice sets and practice tie breaks and then tournaments as well. And I've been to hundreds of local tournaments uh, at this point, a kind of a staggering number of out of state tournaments. I mean, several dozen, literally several dozen out of state tournaments almost always without parents, you've gone with us to both Vegas and Salt Lake. And we get this a lot. This is a common thing, very common thing. These kids just get so mad and they say, I lost to a pusher or they lost to someone they should have beaten. And I always correct them on that. I don't like the word should. If you should have beaten someone, you would have beaten someone. Right. You're not owed any victories when you step on the court. Yeah. So the way I word it is, here, I want to hopefully help you understand that. Let's rephrase that. You were in position to win, but give the other kid credit. They came back and beat you. Is that fair? Yeah. And, I, and I'd say, you know, well, why is it that, that, quote, pushing works? What is it about that style of play that aggravates so many people and thwarts them? I mean, if you look at, every, you know, adult tennis and junior tennis, it's very frequent. You're going to find a pusher in the final. You know, especially yeah. in adult tennis, that, that's that's like the, the final exam for every level. 
you know, if you're an NTRP player and you're playing three, five tennis, you've got to be able to beat three, five pushers if you want to be a four Oh player. And, and so that, you know, I think that's, that's important to recognize. So why is it, why does pushing work? Well, pushing works because at most levels of tennis, it's a loser's game. And that means that the outcome is determined by the action of the losing player rather than by the winning player. (laughs) Right. And And what that means is, that most shot, most points are lost, not won, through unforced errors. So you've got winners where somebody's a clean winner. You've got a forced error where I hit a shot that you can get to, but you really are, you know, have a difficult play and you can't make the shot. And then you've got unforced errors where I haven't really challenged you all that much, but you have simply missed a double fault. You know, would be an unforced error. I mean, there are some people. I think Federer is one of them who claims there's no such thing. I think that's a bit strong. I mean, his contention is when you're playing somebody, you have to go for great shots and hit really good shots. So you're going to miss some of them. So they're therefore forced. Fair enough. But, you know, I think we all know what just sort of missing a routine backhand looks like. Double fault. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just giving away points. You got a volley, you can hit a winner and you miss it. And so for most people, that's, that's how points end. And the style of play that does not contribute hardly any errors is the pusher. They, they don't do that. I mean, if, if you and I are playing and we're both missing a lot of shots, well, one of us is going to win because the other one missed a whole missed more. But the pusher doesn't 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 buy into that. They say, well, what I'm not going to do is miss. Yeah. So now you have to figure out how to win, and that's not easy. It takes a lot of skill. I mean, why like- why is it the defense works in most sports? And my answer to that is because it takes more skill to do something skillful than to thwart it or respond to it. And an example I use from tennis is, which is easier, to hit a 140-mile-an-hour serve or to return one? And I can tell you it's very difficult to return a 140-mile-an-hour serve, right? No question about it. But how many human beings on the planet have ever hit a serve 140 miles an hour? That's a good analogy. And and if we say, "Let's let's boot it up to 150 I think we can almost name the humans who've hit serves that that fast. I think it's a guy named Sam Groth had one unofficially. Roddick has done it. I think uh, Isner has done it. He's hit the fastest. And I think Dr. Evo, Evo Karlovich has done it. There may not be anyone else <laughs> in the long history of the human race. In the hundred and some odd years of playing tennis, I think those are the only human beings who've ever hit 150 mile an hour serve. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, every one of those came back. <laughs> Isn't that weird? So there's a phrase in sports that is often true that defense wins championships. Right. And to use like a basketball analogy, you have Steph Curry, the greatest three-point shooter of all time, that can just bomb threes all day long. But then you have someone like Michael Jordan, or let's take someone that prides themselves on defense, and they just, all they love to do is shut down one other guy. Yeah. That's a rare trait and a rare quality. It doesn't get as much fanfare and accolades, but it's every bit is valuable but you don't see too many guys that are out there on the basketball court saying hey i'm i, I don't care if i even score but i'm going to keep this other guy from scoring right so, well and, and you know you can devise systems in team sports like basketball or hockey to to thwart the athletic ability of the other team you know you yeah. just you hound them i mean we've all had guys like that when you're playing basketball they just get in your shorts man they're just in your grill and i mean i'm a skilled shooter you're a very skilled shooter i mean i'm a pretty good basketball player but i'll tell you what that that other dude that that just gets in you and denies you the ball and all that stuff. I mean, that's tough. Can can he shoot like I can? I don't know. Probably not, but he can stop me from shooting pretty well. So that's what I, I just think it's easier 
to, you know, like you watch a great hockey player and if somebody's hanging all over that guy, Ovechkin can't get a shot off if there's some dude hanging all over him. And that dude isn't probably as skilled, but he's just denying Ovechkin the time and space to demonstrate his great skill. And, and, and so in tennis, the pusher is sort of that person. They've said, listen, I have a skill set where I can cover the court pretty well. I can elevate the ball. If I'm not that fast, I can hit it high and buy myself time to always recover into good position. And I'm going to make you figure out a way to beat me. It's a heck of a puzzle. And the vast majority of people at any skill level struggle to solve that puzzle. So they come whining to us. They come off the court griping. Well, that person, I should have beaten that person. It's like, yeah, well, if you had more skill, you would have, but you don't. So you need to figure out a way to solve that puzzle. And it's the, I think it's the best puzzle of all to try to solve in tennis. So let's say I'm a 16 year old kid playing a fossil Ridge singles match at three singles. And I find myself, you know, against someone that's just moonballing and pushing, or I'm playing a level six or level seven at a Larry Lewis event in Fort Collins. And the other person is just pushing guy or girl. You know, let's so let's dive into this a little bit deeper. And I, you, you said there's a lot of recipes and a lot of variables, but if we look at these four too, I mean, at the end of the day, usually if a kid tries to push back, that doesn't work because this is how the other kid pays their bills. I mean, right. this is all they do. This is right. what they've chosen to do. Yep. So can you push back and win? Maybe you can actually. I mean, and that, that's right. one of the uh, of all the ways that I've beaten pushers. That's the least the least common for me to have done it. Mm-hmm. But I've done it. And, and and the thing that's funny about it is, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that unless you have the the sort of the skill set and the mindset to pull it off. But a pusher that finds themselves needing to win a point, <laughs> what do they got? Mm-hmm. They, they got nothing, brother. Right. And so what can happen is you you show that you're going to outsteady them. You know, I, I say I jokingly said, you know, I'm going to wear a diaper and a camelback. And I'm going to come out there with a power bar in my left hand. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to loop the ball back to you, butter, brother. How's this going to turn out? Exactly. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm willing to be here until the lights come on playing point number one. And, and they go, oh, huh. Uh-oh. And now they try to win points. And those matches can end pretty quickly. Yeah. So that is a way. Would I recommend that way? Probably not. The camelback and the diaper is not for everyone. Uh, it's going to take, you know, if the other person says, all right, fine. <laughs> you really could be out there for a couple of days playing that match so it's it's not recommended generally but yeah it can work because yeah, you know, a, a pusher without they don't have a way to win a point so if yeah. you don't give them points they got a problem too yeah i hear you i mean i, I generally would default to the let's go down swinging and i know if you miss <laughs> if you miss it plays into the pusher's hands right but we, we just said overheads and swing volleys are two key plays right because if you've if you've practiced that you've developed the overhead and the swing volley then you can take that loopy ball out of the air mid court, even around the service line and, and, and come in. And I understand sure. if you miss, it plays into what they're doing, but there's a one way to attack it, right? For sure. And, and well, just back out a little bit. And the, the, the basic premise of tennis is it's, you know, I've told you this before, it's a four dimensional space time problem. You've got the three dimensions of space and you've got time. And so tennis is all about solving that space time problem. And a pusher, they're always trying with when you're specifically the looper, they're always buying themselves time to get back into position. So you can drag them way off the court and they loop that ball back up. And by the time it comes high over the net, bounces, comes back into your strike zone. Where are they? They're properly, perfectly positioned for your next shot. Mm-hmm. So you're, 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 you know, you're never going to get out of that. 
because they are always getting back into position. So mm-hmm. what do you what do you have to do? You have to deprive them of that time to get back in the position. So they need time to cover the court. And when they toss up a lob, if it's a moon ball, well, they're going to get back in position. If they literally hit it sky high, but you know, do they do that? Not really. They might hit more loopy normal shots and you can step in, take it out of the air, and now they're not back in position yet and you have space to hit your shot into. And an overhead or a swinging volley, you can hit it pretty hard. So that deprives them of time to cover a fair bit of space, and you're going to be able to succeed. Gotcha. Okay. So, so, so frankly, I mean, the, the, the easiest way to beat a pusher is to just be better than they are. So, I mean, if, if you go out there and play a 3-0 pusher and you're a 5-0, you're going to crush that person. Yep. Because your shot's just simply too good. You can hit the ball too hard, too far from them. There's just nothing that they can do to respond to your shot. But, but, but we're talking about the problem of somebody who's relatively the same skill level as you. How do you handle that? You have to manipulate time and space on that person to your advantage. And, and they're good at keeping it to their advantage by hitting soft shots and moving always back into proper position. And so, yep. yeah, you got it. You come into the midcourt and you take that ball before it bounces. And now they don't have nearly as much time to get back to cover the court. Gotcha. And I know it's too simple, but if, if overheads and swing volleys are one and two in whatever order, if we said drop shots are third, well, drop shots came up in the last episode mm-hmm. and we used it in an offensive sense yep. with drop shot, sometimes yep. on a train, even a transition ball, because it's easier to execute a drop shot when you're not 10 feet behind the baseline. Right. We discussed how the drop shot uses the other spatial dimension of front and back and not just side to side. And, and um, but with that, obviously, we're bringing the pusher into the net, right. maybe the place they don't want to be. Correct. And think about time and space. When you're at the net, you're very close to your opponent. When I come to the net and you're at the baseline, I'm closer to you, right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing is I'm closing down the space. I'm closing down the distance between the two of us. Make sense? Yep. So the pusher, the reason they like to be back at the baseline is it gives them time to respond to almost any shot you have. Right. One of, one of the better players that I coached, you said you never coached anybody into this style. I've never really coached anybody into any style because mostly I've gotten people who are teenagers or college players already. So they already had a style, but one of my best players, she played way behind the baseline and she hit elevated the ball. She wasn't a moon baller, but she hit high top spin balls and she had time to, she was a dogged returner. She ended up doing marathon running after she got done playing tennis. So that was the kind of person she was not quick, but she would run down any ball. So she bought herself time by backing way up. And plenty of coaches, when I first started working with her, said, oh, you got to get her up on that baseline. She can't play from way back there. And I said, she can and does. Look, watch her. Watch the match. That that perfectly fit her skill set, her athletic ability. Mm-hmm. And so she's buying time. Now, what was a very effective play against her was drop shots. Mm-hmm. Because she's way back behind the baseline. So she's a long ways away. Well, what we did is we learned to identify players who could do it and what it looked like when they were going to do it, mm-hmm. like, like taking a hand off the racket. So she was able to recognize it quickly. And, and we, always, we always joked. We said, it's the very first time an opponent hits a drop shot, tries to bring you forward, you got to go up there and you got to handle it. The pressure's on. Because if you handle it, they probably won't do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. If you fail, uh-oh, now you got to deal with that darn pesky drop shot the rest of the match. Yep. And, and she was a competent baller. She had a good overhead, so she could attack. So she wasn't just a pusher. But, you know, she played a style that, you know, was way back, bought herself time and was a nightmare for people to play against. She was mm-hmm. one of the better players in our area and was a All-American at D3 mm-hmm. in singles. So, yeah, the, the key to the drop shot then is to bring that person into a position where they don't have time to defend their side of the court. 
Yep. So that's a great way. I, I used that. That was one of my primary plays against pushers back in my day. I'd bring them forward and then I'd either hit it past them or over them. Yeah. It's some of them get this. Some of them, <laughs> you hit the drop shot, they come running and get it. You know what they do? They run back. <laughs> right. Exactly. Which, which I sort of thought was fun. So if, if I found somebody that was that committed to the baseline, I would put them through wind sprints for a while. I'd just hit drop shots. They'd run back. I'd do it again. And they'd just run back and forth. So they would get two laps in. they go up and back per shot of mine. I thought that was awesome. But if you don't have the stomach for that, you just don't feel like doing it. What you do is you hit a drop shot and then you come forward to the service line and then they're screwed because they don't have time to get out of there. So yeah. now, you're, now you're both pretty close to each other. And unless they're very skilled at that cat and mouse game, and most pushers are not because they live behind the baseline, they're going to pop that ball up to you and you're just going to smoke it. You can yeah. hit them with it. You can hit it past them. You can do anything you want. Points over. Yeah, we work on it. I think it's a fun thing to work on in private lessons as well because when you have that two-handed backhand, your bottom hand is already in continental. I mean, you're almost in the, always in the neighborhood of continental. Right. Maybe at Eastern shake hands with that top hand. Yep. So if you're right-handed, that bottom hand's at a continental and you can look like you're going to rip it and then yep. pop under it and drop it over. Yep. And with the forehand, it's all about stay in that semi-Western. You know, an astute player can pick up if you've changed your grip. So you right. stay in that semi-Western on that backswing and you look like you're going to crush it. And then you flip the grip to continental and drop it over. And that's right. continental grip skills. Exactly. I think the mistake, the mistake I see a lot of kids make is they try to come up with the heavy spin hero shot that's almost going to like bounce back over the net. It has right. so much underspin on it. Right. And if you look at the pros, it is not a ton of slice and underspin. They are disguising it and just dropping it over. It's a drop shot. It's right. not cutting spin. That's a mistake I see. Yeah. And, and you know, you got to remember when you're playing a pusher, most of them aren't going to be that great at coming forward and hurting you. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if you, if you're playing a pusher that actually like this girl I was talking about, she really did have good attacking skills too. So if you hung a ball sort of short, you know, you tried a drop shot, but it wasn't that good. She could come up and smoke it. So, you know, that's, that's sort of another level of a, of a tennis player. It's not just a pusher. Right. So when you're talking about somebody that really just likes to defend and loop and, you know, do that, you don't have to hit a great drop shot. Because they don't generally have that skill set where they can come in and knock that thing off if you leave it hanging a little bit. So don't get don't get too clever. Just bring you want to just bring them close to you. You want to bring them forward so that now they can't defend against your next shot, whether it's a yeah. passing shot or a lob. Yeah. So we lastly, by the way, I must say this too. Um, I, I've spent my life hitting drop shots. Drop shots are not easy when somebody's hitting loopy balls. No. So true. The, the angle of the balls coming off the court, if you try to do it on the rise, isn't good. Uh, but you can step forward and just hit a little dropper. So instead of a swinging ball or an overhead, you can step in and take that ball early and drop it. Okay. So that works too. But that isn't, you know, it's not real easy. You got to practice that a fair bit against a regular old garden variety ball coming toward you. Drop shots are pretty easy, but they're yeah. not that easy against uh, high looping balls. Yep. All right. So we mentioned angles too, and that's just simply that left, right dimension and side right. to side dimension and mm-hmm. controlling the middle of the court where you're, you're yep. in the middle of the court on your side, the middle, and you're getting them side to side to side and taking them out of what they're doing. Exactly. And then, you know, you have to be ready to, if they, if they don't respond with pace, if they respond with a loop, you got to be able to, you know, take them off the court, but then step in, step into the mid court and probably get that ball before it bounces. Yep. And hit it to the open court because by the time you pull them off the court, if they loop it back, there is no open court anymore. Yep. So, so you taught us something else, and maybe we wrap up with this. You taught us something else that just kind of stuck with me. And and again, I, I can't think of anyone I really coached into this style, but um, 
because I obviously I mentioned earlier, I think style is a function of your personality and what you want to do and, and what you do best and your skill set. Um, you know, but my point with this is some of these kids that come off the court and uh, are super frustrated. You know, we hear, oh, I lost the pusher. I should have won that match, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you get the occasional kid. And this was something you taught us a while back that is just embracing it because it's like, wait a second, you know, why not try and become the kid that everyone hates? Like <laughs> right. there's, I mean, there's kind of a beauty in if this is the style that everyone detests and despises and gets victimized from. Right. Um, oh, that, that makes me think of another story. I'll, we'll have to talk about in a second. Um, you might remember this. We were watching a top player, someone that might be on the pro tour at some point, And we, you know, we got the phrase, oh, this person can't, shouldn't be victimized anymore by the pusher. And we're like, uh-huh. wait a second, wait a second. That's not fair. Get, you know, give the other person credit. Right. And, um, you know, and, and we're all potentially victimized by pushers, but, but I'm saying just, you know, that, that kid that says, Hey, you know what? I'm going to embrace this. I'm yes. going to become that kid that everyone hates. Yeah. And when you're a competitor and an athlete, I, I kind of like that. Absolutely. And that, that girl I was talking about that played that style, she, <laughs> as she, as she grew, grew up in life, you know, she's, you know, in her early thirties now, it's a little hard. You know, she goes out to play with her husband a little bit. Who's kind of a, you know, he doesn't really play that much tennis and she's hitting these high loopy balls to his backhand. He's not enjoying that, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) So so it makes, I I, I texted back and forth with Anish a little bit about, about this different ways to go about playing. And I said, you know, he was talking about maybe doing some underhand serving and stuff. And I said, you know, it's a totally legit thing to do, but if you do too much of it, your phone ain't ringing. You know, you can, (laughs) nobody wants to play social tennis with you, but, yeah, I told you about a kid that we had at a school I helped coach that his attitude, you know, late in juniors was if I'm going to beat these guys, I got to do something different. And the thing he said, well, what should I do? He's a very smart kid. And he said, what does everybody complain about? They complain about people that loop the ball and they complain about people that hit slices. And that's what I'm going to do. Yep. He embraced it and he yep. was darn good. Yeah. You'll have to remind me, was this, we're not going to mention any names here, but was this a Vegas or Salt Lake? We're watching a player that's at the top of the section and now literally top of the nation. It was Vegas. Okay. So Vegas top of the nation and just someone made the observation that, you know, they were disappointed that this individual was being victimized by a pusher. And you and I had a different take. We're like, wait a second, you know, there, this is working. Here's one of the best players in the country now. And we're being they were, they were being victimized by the pusher, but rather than see that as a huge problem, we thought, huh, I mean, sure, we got to address it and work on it. And I'm sure this person has, but you had a different take on that. Yeah. I mean, that's a legit, that's just a legit way to play. Don't be whining about it. You're just not, you're just not good enough. Right. right. You know, your shots weren't good enough. See most juniors, what their approach to beating the pusher is, is to try to hit hard to the sides. You know, they want to hit their normal shot. That's how they play tennis. The, all these things that we've been describing, you know, drop shots and stepping forward and taking loop balls out of the air. That's not the standard play. I mean, one of my the number one go to thing that I did that we didn't even talk about, which is a sign of the times, is serving and volleying, mm-hmm. which I did that almost every point when I ran up against pushers. I just served and volleyed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's really not the way anymore. So the way people play now is they try to go big to the sides and you need a lot of skill. If you're going to repeatedly pound balls outside, move the pusher around, they're going to defend. You're going to have to keep hammering balls to the side over and over again and wear them down. It's it's absolutely doable. A better player will do that to a lesser pusher. 
but it is a very difficult task to continually hit high speed, high quality balls, you know, relatively close to the lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's why most people lose to pushers mm-hmm. because that task is too much. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to hit the ball within three or four feet of the lines and I'm trying to hit it at high speed, high spin all the time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that yeah, that will work eventually. Right. Yeah, but you know, you know, do you make more errors than you hit winning shots like that? Well, probably. Yeah. If if most of those shots you're striking are from behind the baseline, you know, you got a tough problem on your hand. Now, if the pushers, you know, hitting shots that you're able to step inside the court and take them, you know, you might be able to get it past them eventually when they have to go side to side several times. But think how difficult that is. Yeah, to hit, to hit you know 60, 70 mile an hour shots with topspin to the sides. You know, I'm talking junior tennis and pros. It's you got to hit 80 some odd miles an hour. Yeah. I mean, good luck, you know, good luck beating Medvedev when he backs up into the Melbourne sign and just starts scraping balls back on you. I mean, how many great shots do you have to hit to win a point? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just it's just mind boggling. Well, I hope this helps our listeners. Um, we have some ideas, I think some interesting topics for future episodes. Um, you know, I, we've always tried to be a little bit different and not different for the sake of being different, but literally research and study what are the best ways to coach kids and how do kids learn and what's really important to say out there and maybe what is something we shouldn't say that coaches often say, or, or honestly, why is it that, you know, sometimes American tennis is pretty weak and we're not producing a lot of pros compared to other country, other countries, which is another episode and podcast. But I mean, we have some fun things to talk about coming up. So you, you'll be interested to know, I did a little bit of research on our boy, uh, Nikolai Bernstein, uh, <laughs> former Soviet union guy that died decades ago, but his research still holds up and, yeah, uh, you know, literally coined the term biomechanics and um, motor skill learning, motor skill development. And I, I read all about how he had the, you know, the theory that, you know, and I, I don't think he necessarily specifically got into tennis, but it sure ties into tennis, that if you're doing that lesson and you're trying to take all the other variables and, and contextual things out and you're just working on that low to high swing and stroke, you know, is that better or is it better to have an opponent and spin and time and speed and actual live ball and rally? And of course, he believes in that that you need all those variables in there to then develop that technique. And, and I didn't know he literally termed the term biomechanics, but yet we're going to have future episodes, aren't we on um, maybe why we're coaching the wrong way. And you and I, why we've changed, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating topic. You know, basically it gets down to is the variability in your movements noise that should be tamped down and gotten rid of, or is the variability in your movements necessary because the environment is changing all the time too. Mm-hmm. I had a little, I was at uh, Kansas city Arrowhead stadium to watch the Kansas city chiefs have an unbelievable comeback and punch their ticket to the AFC championship for the fourth consecutive year. And without talking for 60 minutes about the chiefs, <laughs> I had a little bit of downtime. If you can tell I'm excited about that, but I had a little bit of downtime in the hotel room and, uh, you know, re-listened to all of our podcasts and episodes and then started to dive into Nikolai Bernstein himself. So it was fun. Nice. Well, that's a, that's a big, deep rabbit hole, but it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, the Trapper's Cabin, um, what's, what's on the agenda the rest of the day? Try to stay warm by the fire. Okay. <laughs> if you need to reach BOB, you can contact me. Um, I, I have a, the website, williamstennisschool.com, tenniscamper.com. This has been episode number four. Um, I think you guys will like five, six, and seven. So we'll sign off. Um, We'll catch you on the next one. All right, B.O.B.? We'll catch you next time on the FRA podcast. Thanks for joining us. See ya. Bye-bye.